Let us pray. Our gracious and heavenly Father, you are so kind to us. You're just so kind, and, and, and um, you're God. You could be any way that you want to be, and yet what you want is to be merciful and kind. And we thank you that you have chosen to reveal yourself to us uh, by your word, as you have given us the means of reconciliation when we had fallen into sin and death, you sent us your Son. And so uh, we, we want to know Him, Lord, and know, not just know about Him, but to actually know Him. And so we trust, Lord, we come as, as with as much trust as we can that faith comes by hearing. And so we come to your Word, Lord God, trusting that, that you are uh, our great God and that you want to be known. And so send us your Spirit, Lord God that we might know You through Your Word, and we ask that You be present with us, You would be our great teacher, and that we would be quick to give You the thanks and praise. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Alright, come in, come in. We're so glad to see you. We are in the last half of Matthew chapter 9, verses 18-38 through 38 today. And uh, just a little reminder of where we have been. Uh, Matthew, as you probably remember, I've said it several times, Matthew is proving to us that Jesus is in fact the Christ. And so we had the genealogy and the miraculous birth. We had John the Baptist and the Lamb, Jesus said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. We had the temptation uh, in the, in the uh, wilderness, 40 days in the wilderness, Jesus succeeding and emerging victorious, where for 40 years in the wilderness, Israel failed, and we have the developing of the apostolic community and the Sermon on the Mount. So Jesus is teaching them as one who has authority, and now He's showing us His authority. And so um, we're in this, this set, we're looking at uh, chapter 8 and 9, and so at chapter 8, healing social distancing, we talked about uh, healing a leper, healing a Roman servant, healing the elements, calming the storm, casting out a demon. Two weeks ago, before the parish meeting, healing the heart, forgiving sins, and then healing the physical need of a paralytic, and then calling Matthew the tax collector. So today, we have healing our vision. Healing our vision. Uh, in one case, literally, we see that Jesus heals two blind men, but spiritually, Jesus is healing the way that we see Him and the way that we serve Him. The way that we see Him and the way that we serve Him. And I think, I think, what Matthew is doing is he's using the episodes of Jesus' ministry in a particular way to give us deeper meaning. So see if, after looking at these things, if you agree with me about that. So Jesus is healing our vision, not just our eyesight, which I would appreciate, actually, but, uh, with, uh, but actually uh, healing the way that we see Him, always, throughout our lives, redeeming and and uh, calling us, giving us more clarity about himself. All right, so one of my favorite stories is actually two stories, sort of combined and intertwined. Uh, it is in all three of the synoptic gospels. What are the synoptic gospels? No, there's there's only three synoptic gospels: Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Yes, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. John uh, sees things a little bit differently. Synoptic, you can see S Y N. You can say that that. Um, is with seeing seeing with one another. They they see it together. That's just a little theological term that, that was free. Um, the uh, 
Yeah, you just have to remember it. That's right. Synoptic, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. So all three of the Synoptic Gospels include this story of the ruler and the hemorrhaging woman. Uh, but Matthew's version is much more stark. It's much more sure. Now, as you will find, many of the um, episodes in Matthew are stripped down a little bit. They're much more stark. And uh, you would kind of expect Mark to be the one to shoot down because it's so much shorter. Matthew has a lot of stories. He just tells them in a very concise way. So uh, he, Jesus is speaking. He's saying things to them. Behold, a ruler came in and knelt before him, saying, My daughter has just died. To come and lay your hand on her, and she will live. So Jesus rose and followed him with his disciples. And behold, a woman who had suffered from a discharge of blood for twelve years came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment. For she said to herself, If I only touch his garment, I will be made well. Jesus turned and seeing her, he said, Take heart, daughter, your faith has made you well. And instantly the woman was made well. When Jesus came to the ruler's house, he saw the flute players and the crowd making a commotion. He said, Go away, for the girl is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. When the crowd had been put outside, he went in and took her by the hand, and the girl arose. And the report of this went throughout all the districts. So again, Matt, uh, Mark 5, Luke 8, same story, but uh, Matthew's version is much shorter. Uh, Matthew doesn't tell us the ruler's name. Uh, his name is, anybody remember? Jairus. Jairus, Jairus, Jairus is how I usually say it. Or his occupation is actually a synagogue ruler, not like a magistrate. Uh, it doesn't tell us about the woman, that she had spent all her money on physicians, but the condition had gotten worse. It doesn't tell, have the dialogue where Jesus turns around and says, Who touched me? And the, and the disciples go, What do you mean, who touched you? You're in a crowd. Everybody's touching you. Like, you know, and, um, uh, and, and I would say that those aren't contradictions. Uh, they are just details. And Matthew leaves out. But Matthew has Jairus, the ruler, saying, uh, coming to Jesus and say, My daughter has died. And Mark and Luke, Jairus says, My daughter is at the point of death, or she is dying. So they say two different things. And, and that, does, that is a contradiction of a sort, right? And it's really the only sort of contradiction in Scripture. What I mean, like, is if you have, you have, in one place in the Bible it says, you can't uh, eat pork. But in another part of the Bible it says, you can eat pork. Is that a contradiction? No, no because it can be explained theologically. We have been released from those laws because Jesus declared all foods clean because those laws were to set the people apart uh, for God, and now all people are God's people in Christ. And so we are, uh, there is, it, there is, it does seem to be a contradiction, but it can be explained theologically. And I just want to say that, um, that this kind that we have in this story, it, it, was she dead before Jairus came, or did she die while Jesus is on the way? That's not really a substantive contradiction, right? It's, it's because either way, Jesus raises the dead. Uh, it, it, uh, it does change the story a little bit. Uh, but it, it is not I would, what I would call a substantive contradiction. Another one is, um, did, did uh, um, oh my gosh, 
Senior moment. Senior, yes, I know. It's white in my beard. The uh, the disciple that um, that that uh, betrayed Jesus. Judas. Judas. <laughs> See, Judas is so far from me. Jesus is so. You know, you're gonna be just yeah. You thought it was gonna be obscure. No, it's like this one of the central things. Uh, but but Judas is so far from my character. Um, that, um, Made me feel better. Yes, I know. I know. Good gracious. It would not come. I think I had Jairus. I was like, it's not Jairus. It's something else. Uh, Judas. Did Judas die of hanging himself or was he impaled? I mean, it says both things. I don't know. Does it matter? He died like that day. So, I mean, is it a substantive contradiction? I would say no. Uh, that, that does not disprove the Bible in, in any sense. You know, it's just the, sort of the way the story is told. Um, and it's like that. So I just want to bring that up because some people will say to you, oh, the Bible is just full of contradictions. And you can say, yes, but not substantive ones. Yeah. Right? Because they can all be explained theologically, and it's the ones that can are just little details that don't, don't really matter, like did Jairus' daughter die before he came to Jesus or after? Uh, but either way, Jesus healed her, so or brought, her, brought her back. So that's, um, that's what we want. I just wanted to bring that up. You, most of all of the um, ones that are explained are Old Covenant, New Covenant contradictions. So, the other ones are immaterial details. At least that's what my notes say. <laughs> but I wrote them. Um, the story, had, you have the, the ruler has uh, faith, or at least the ruler has hope, and yet he breaches the cleanliness laws by asking the rabbi, to touch a dead body. Now, if she was dead before, which Matthew says she was dead before, then it would have been extraordinary insight on his part, unusual insight that he would have known to go to Jesus in faith that Jesus could do something about this. It would not have been unusual if if the girl was about to die because a lot of people had been healed of their sickness. But it would have uh, any expectation... um, uh, that he could raise her would have been extraordinary, as is the uh, an extraordinary thing that he had any expectation that this rabbi would in fact touch a dead body. Um, and so one of the things I, I just would like to say that, I mean, of course, Jesus squares off a lot against scribes and Pharisees and Sadducees, some of the religious rulers, which this man Jairus is, but they weren't all against him, and Jesus certainly isn't against them. He's against self-righteousness. But this man's coming in need. Like Father Trent talked about, blessed are the poor in spirit. He's coming poor in spirit, as you would be if your child is dying or it has just died. And many of you know that, that uh, neediness and that, um, that sense of needing, wanting, longing for God to uh, restore. But Jesus is against the self-righteous, and Jairus is not. He comes in desperation. He comes in faith. If you lay your hand on her, she will live. And Jesus, it just seems like he just turns on his heels and goes with Jairus. And again, there's no mention of this great crowd that's pressing in on him, but we hear this unnamed woman who has suffered a discharge of blood for 12 years. Now, what what does that mean? What does that mean? And, And we don't, we don't, we're not told beyond that, but it's, most people understand it to be a, some sort of menstrual disorder. 
Um, she, I, I don't need to comment any further than that. That'd be a tough 12 years. A tough 12 years. I, um, you know, it could be, it, um, and so whether because it was, whether the blood itself or because she was in some sort of perpetual menstrual cycle, the woman would have been considered unclean or in a state of uncleanliness. That was, at first, probably not, and, and monthly, it's not a moral, it wasn't a moral uh, observation. It was simply the observation that uh, while you're bleeding, you can't come to worship until you're clean because, um, because that, was, that, that might defile someone else. And again, thanks be to God, that's not a requirement uh, anymore, thank God. But, um, but that, was, that was, she would not have been able to worship the community. Over time, though, over time, it would have probably been seen as, a, as divine judgment. As uh, this, something is wrong with this woman spiritually, and God has allowed her to have this. Now, interestingly, we are told here that she had, been ha- she had this... Uh, condition for 12 years. What we're not told here, but we are told in Mark, is that the little girl, Jairus' daughter, was 12. And I, I, I picture like if, if, if someone were to make a movie out of this, it starts and uh, this woman is in child labor, you know, and screaming, and they, and they have this incredible, you know, this is happy, the midwife hands the baby to Jairus, and they celebrate, and they thank God, and Jairus is this young man, and and, uh, but, and then kind of the, pan, the camera pans outside and you see this uh, very well-to-do woman with a uh, harassed look on her face running down the street and there's drops of blood uh, behind her. And, um, and over the course of their lives, Jairus and his family sort of increase in prominence as he moves from like, you know, Sexton to, to Junior Warden and then, and then to... Um, and then moves to uh, to rule synagogue ruler, and then but the woman who was well to do moves uh, down lower and lower as she spends all of her wealth on physicians, but it only gets worse. And so, but in this sort of uh, confluence where Jesus comes, uh, both of them have incredible need, and and so this woman who used to be um, uh, high society and now is the lowest of the low, and this young family with this man who uh, thought he was incredibly blessed, but now is about to lose his daughter, or just has lost his daughter, they both uh, are, are met by Jesus at their point of need. Um, what's amazing about this woman is that the, the hem of his robe, she, she, if I just, she doesn't want to draw any attention to herself. This is years of shame. Don't want to, if I, I don't need him to say anything to me. I just need to touch the hem of his robe. And I will be made well. And she touches the hem of her robe, and she is made well. And uh, Luke tells us that Jesus felt power go out of him, which is odd, because it was not of his conscious will. I mean, you can imagine, like, what happens with the blind people. Jesus lays his hand on them, and they, they are given sight. Like, Jesus had the will. Do you want me to do this? Or, Lord, if you will, you can make me whole. Yes, I will. And he, and he will... I will it, and and he may, but actually, he it's not his, it's not against his will. It's just he, he didn't do it on purpose, which is pretty amazing, actually. But what Jesus says, what what does Jesus say? Healed her, her faith, her faith, and so Jairus comes in faith, and this woman comes in faith, and so Jesus heals this woman. My daughter, your faith has made you well. 
heals this woman and and heals her physically, but but also heals her. You imagine spiritually, because now she can go and worship communally, because she can be part of society again. Economically, because she can now earn a living. She could even perhaps get married again. Who we don't know. Because Jesus heals when Jesus heals and redeems, He heals and redeems the whole person, the whole person, which makes us. I mean, it makes us think. Well, how? Has, has He redeemed every area of your life? Have we let Him into every, every area of our life to redeem? That's important. It's an important question. Because Jesus also actually demands the whole person, doesn't He? He wants everything. He doesn't want just your Sunday mornings. He wants your Saturday nights. So, I preach this real good in college. Um, so, um, y'all are like, yeah, what's the difference? Um, but um, the... Uh, so what, what is, um, it's not simply Jesus' authority over this disease, but the power of faith in Christ. What can be accomplished with faith in Christ? It's not magic, right? It's, there's still a sense that God's plan, but, and we are, I mean, we don't want to get the impression, or I don't want to give the impression that if you just, in faith, reach out and you know, quote unquote, touch the hem of his garment in faith that, that you will be healed too. It doesn't work like that, at least in my. I don't want to do this sort of name it and claim it, uh, you know, believe it and achieve it kind of um, theology. Because remember, Jesus says, um, in a little while you won't have the bridegroom anymore. And we don't have the bridegroom. We don't have Jesus right now. He's not here to touch, but he has given us all we need right now in uh, his cross and resurrection and in his spirit. But there are times, as I preached a few weeks ago, there are times where God heals miraculously. And that is usually to promote faith. Um, Not just to bless, but to promote faith. And so, then, after this woman, he goes to Jairus' house. There's these professional mourners that would have not been unusual in that time. That's kind of what they did. That was part of the funeral home package, I guess. They, the mourners came and played the flute. And, um, and that's why they laugh, because they're not really invested in, in weeping. They're just paid to weep. Um, and Jesus says, go away. She's not dead. She's sleeping. And they're like, we know what death is. Okay, like, we're pros. And, um, and, uh, and Jesus heals her. It's much, ten- much more tender in Luke. Little little girl, honey is what he says. the kum. It means literally means little girl, but it's really like um, sweetheart. He, but either way, I mean, whether we have the words or not, I mean, he reaches down into death and he picks this little girl up, like he would do with Lazarus. And so Jesus does have the authority over death itself, but the physical points to the spiritual. And when people come to faith in Christ, when you and I came to faith in Christ, uh, that is the dead being raised, uh, spiritually speaking. And I think of, uh, I think of a time where a, a minister, who it was an Episcopal minister, but it was a while back when the Episcopal Church still had uh, a lot more of the charismatic movement in it than it does now, but it, um, uh, he's, I remember him saying, uh, telling a story about a man who's, um, no, I guess it was he said to this crowd, he said, I have seen every miracle 
that God has, uh, you know, has promised in Scripture, except I've never seen the dead raised. And a guy raised his hand and said, you know, you've seen me come back to life because I, did, I was you know, blind, but now I see it. Whatever, he just, he, he raised his hand and said, I was dead in my trespasses and sins, but I've been made, made alive in Jesus Christ, which is what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he has loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us, declared us, alive together with Christ by grace you have been saved. You didn't save yourself. By grace. This is what salvation is. And so the little girl, sweetheart, she is a picture of salvation. For us, we who are dead in our trespasses. Okay, you have Jairus and his daughter. You have the woman, uh, the, uh, the hemorrhaging woman. What are your thoughts, reactions, questions, insights? The only thing for me is just his kindness. He calls the little girl. He calls her little girl, and then he calls the woman daughter. Yes. And it's just so kind and, and intimate. That's right. Yeah, you you know you think about the priests and the uh, um, Good Samaritan story. I mean, just kind of walking the other side of the road, going, Bleh. you know, like you get that's kind of that's what this woman had experienced all her life, or what uh, may may happen. You know, I don't know when you might expect in that day. I don't know somebody coming in and seeing a, a dead body just blah. But um, Jesus doesn't give us the blah. You know, he gives us, gives us his kindness. That's his technical theological term, by the way. <laughs> Thank you. Yes, it's, it's just kindness. Because his property is always to have mercy. Okay. Salvation. Jesus raised the dead. As Jesus passed on from there, two blind men followed him. I'm not sure how. It's really good hearing. I feel the I don't... It's kind of weird. I, Things. Jesus wore a really strong cologne that day. I guess so. Just, I think they all wore strong cologne back then. Those days, yeah. As Jesus passed on from there, two blind men followed him, crying aloud, Have mercy on us, son of David. And when he entered the house, what house? The blind men came to him, and Jesus said to them, Do you believe that I am able to do this? Again, do you have faith? Do you believe that I'm able? Not just that I want to, but that I can. They said to him, Yes, Lord. And he touched their eyes. This is an act of his will. He touched their eyes, saying, According to your faith, be it done to you. And their eyes were open, and Jesus sternly warned them, See that no one knows about it. But, of course, they went away and spread his fame throughout all the district, which I always joke and say, of course, that's why Jesus says, don't tell anybody, because what are we going to do when he says, don't tell anybody, we tell everybody. That's kind of human nature. Um, so literally, Jesus heals their vision. Their eyes are open. They're ca- I mean, just think about just the miracle, of just the, the, the biology of a miracle like that. Cataracts are, are removed or deteriorated, deteriorated cells. I have a enunciation problem today deteriorating cells were reinvigorating rods and cones are restored uh, this is an amazing how 
because it is the will of God. And part of the kingdom of heaven being at hand is the restoration of life as it ought to be. And so you will not need glasses in heaven. Thanks be to God. Bifocals be gone, right? So, um, or transitions. Um, so, but, but these blind men, again, so this, the physical points to the spiritual. So you have these blind men following Jesus, crying out, not for sight. You would think, son of David, help us see again. They're crying out for mercy. Like the synagogue ruler and the woman, these men come to Jesus with, G- with the expectation that he can fix the problem. But I think it's a little different to ask for mercy than it is to ask for sight. Now, I think that, because it's, so I think in their minds, their blindness is in fact divine judgment. And we, we've talked about it many times that that was sort of the mindset of the day. That if something bad happened to you, God was making you pay for your sin or something like that. So, Grace, when you think about grace, grace is giving you something good that you don't deserve. Like salvation, right? Uh, God is, uh, grace is giving you something good that you don't deserve. Mercy is sort of the other side of the coin. is giving you something, or mercy is not giving you something bad that you do deserve. Make sense? So I always think about like, Someone in battle, and they've been beat, you know, in, in I don't know, like in the, you know, in Eng- Braveheart, you know, England or something. So, and, and somebody with a sword standing over, and this guy cries out, mer- you know, he's been beaten, but he cries out for mercy. Like he deserves, I mean, just by virtue of their armies fighting each other, to, to, be, to be killed. He's asking for something bad that he does deserve. And if he is merciful, he will, he will not lower the sword. So, um, the. So when we ask for mercy, we're asking for a relief from judgment, which is so better. Well, that's good. So that's grace and mercy. Like it's it's it's, it's both. But so it's, you can think of it maybe relieving something that is bad despite our deserving. Um, mercy might be a um, a jail sentence that is greatly reduced for no no good reason. So taking, so they're blind, and yet they see, right? They see that this son of David, which is a messianic title, is not just able to heal their sight, but he has the authority to rescind divine judgment that they are under. Have mercy on us, son of David. Not just give us our sight back, but actually rescind this divine judgment. And Jesus asked, do you think I'm able to do that? Because remember, he had just forgiven sin. Told a paralytic that he had forgiven his sin. Everybody was up in arms about it. So Jesus says, "All right, do you, do you really think I'm the one to do this?" And they, again, the emphasis is on faith. Do you believe that that word? It's actually the same Greek word, believe and faith. In English, belief can mean something different than faith. Belief means I believe. Uh, that the world is round. I mean, I, it, there's really good evidence for it, and I understand it, and I believe it. Faith is something that I can't prove, or I can't, you know, it, it is just something that I accept, in, in a sense, and I'm giving myself, or I'm, something I'm entrusting myself to. 
And so the analogy that I always use, you may have heard me use it before, is that we were, this is the same word in Greek, pistuo, is, is, the, um, is the verb form, or pistis is the, is the noun form, it's the same word. And the analogy that I always use is we believe in, a, in Christ like a rock climber believes in the rope that they're hanging from. Like a thousand feet down, but I'm perfectly safe because I've entrusted myself to this rope that I bought at Walmart. So, um, the, um, do, you in, do you entrust yourself to the fact that I can do this? That's what Jesus is asking. And it forces us to ask, again, are we hanging from Jesus? Are we clinging to Him, trusting that we're completely safe, even though there's a thousand feet below us? Or do we merely find Jesus interesting? I can't answer that for you. I can say that I'm perfectly guilty of sometimes just finding Jesus interesting and not allowing Him to impact my life, not giving myself into the trust of Him. J.I. Packer, a great evangelical Anglican writer, used to talk about believing into Christ. Not just believing in Him, but believing into Him. So I just leave you with that as we look at the man who is mute. So they're going away from there. A demon-oppressed man who was mute was brought to him, and when the demon had been cast out, the mute man spoke. And the crowds marveled, saying, Never was anything seen like this in Israel, but the Pharisees said he had cast out demons by the prince of demons. Okay, so Jesus has authority over the, over the demonic. We've seen this in the last chapter. We've seen this already. The crowds marvel. We've seen that as well. But we also now we see religious skepticism. It is the Pharisees the question, not the reality of the act. They, they can't argue with the fact that it happened. But they question the goodness of it. Right? They question the source of his power. Interesting, isn't it? That it's the religious people who have the hardest time. Jesus. Which always makes me quake a little bit. And it should probably, even though you don't have a collar around your Neck, you should probably quake a little bit too. You are religious people, after all. You're giving up brunch to be here um, to study the Bible. So we understand that he has authority over the, the demonic, but what we see is that the mute man is able to speak. Um, he's given his voice back. We don't know if he was born that way, we don't know what. Well, we just know that according to Matthew, there was uh, it was a spiritual oppression. And we there's certainly you've heard of people who had endured some sort of trauma and just didn't talk for a couple years. I mean that that happens. Um, I do believe in the demonic, I'm not saying it wasn't a demon, I don't know. But so here's what I want to get to. We've got the dead raised, right? The little girl. We've got the blind can see. We've got the mute can speak. And just in the last chapter, we had the, the lame could walk, right? So we've got all these things really fulfilling the scripture that lists out all of these things as saying the Messiah was going to come. It would have been much better if I'd already uh, uh, 
found that scripture and, and given it to you. But we have, so the, physically we have the dead being raised, sight to the blind, the mute can speak. So, we'll, But spiritually, the physical pointing to, this, to the uh, spiritual, we have salvation, we have clarity about Jesus, we have the ability to proclaim, the ability to speak. So, so saving grace, seeing Jesus for who He is, and now the ability to speak it, which leads to the last paragraph. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, healing every disease and every affliction. And when He saw the crowds, He had compassion for them, because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And He said to His disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into His harvest. What do you make of this? When you've heard, when you're reading this in your devotions, what comes to mind? Or does anything come to mind? What, what do you think about the way Jesus sees the crowds, the way what He says to the disciples? What do you think? What comes up? It's like sending the twelve disciples out to give the Word of the Lord to the world. That's what He's asking them to do now. He's okay. He says it's like giving the twelve disciples, sending them out to give the word of the Lord. And as they give the word, it grows more and more, and more become disciples of Christ. That's right. More and more become disciples, but actually more and more become laborers as well, right? And right. that's got to be in there too. They're a laborer for God. That's right. They are. But he's saying he's telling these disciples the laborers are few. There's only twelve of you, and there's a whole world out there. So pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers. I, I think that means not just you guys, but but more. They like raise up more. It's whoever you tell. Yeah, Joe. okay. It's they become, and they tell two, two becomes four. Whoever I tell? Because I'm telling you. Yeah, yeah that's... Well, it's the only valid scheme. It, it grows that's expensive. right. That's true. By however many people you talk to, that's right. Double. It's exponential. That's right. It's the only valid pyramid scheme. The only valid pyramid scheme. I'm not qualified to speak about that. Uh, but you are a banker, so, uh, so that's sort of. Um, no, I just mean you're qualified. I, that's, that's not, I mean, you, you bust guys for that stuff. All right. Um, so here, a call to be a laborer is a call to participate in the compassion of Jesus. Beth? <laughs> a call to be a laborer is a call to participate in the compassion of Jesus. How many times have I said, geez, I wish that person would get their act together? How many times have I see the, num- the name that pops up on the phone and go, oh gosh, not that person again. Zero, because I'm a priest. (laughs) Why are you laughing? Um, No, I let Elaine do that for me. So, yeah, that's... uh, (laughs) We don't do that at this church. But the... um, 
the, the truth is, is that Jesus sees people, we, sometimes we call these EGRs, right? Extra grace required. <laughs> and the truth is that Jesus sees all of us. I mean, listen, if we could just lump ourselves, please, in with the ways that Jesus sees all of us. Remember, God, God didn't so love the EGRs that He sent His only Son. He loved all the world. We're all EGRs, okay? I saw a, a, a satirical article that said, uh, um, God decides to do away with, uh, get, or rid Himself of the toxic people in His life. Seven billion suddenly destroyed, right? I mean, that's... Um, the, um, we, we, uh, the call to be... Uh, a disciple of Christ, the call to be a laborer in, in the vineyard of Christ, is a call to have compassion and to see people uh, as harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. We only see them that way because we are utterly dependent upon the shepherd ourselves. We are sheep. Jesus is very clear about that. And in fact, the goats, they are the ones who get pushed out, but the sheep, the ones who need the shepherd's voice and keep the shepherd keeps them out of trouble. We, the sheep need a shepherd in order to keep them out of trouble and so we're sheep. And we have to see ourselves that way. And if you see yourself as one who has received grace and mercy and compassion of Christ, that should empower us to see other people. Hopefully, consistently, I mean, in our fallenness it won't, but, but hopefully we move in our discipleship towards a consistency of character that we see people uh, with the compassion of Jesus. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.16, Therefore, uh, we, from now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. According to the flesh, psh, not this person again. But we don't regard people according to the flesh. We are called to participate in the work of the kingdom. We, and so there's a sense in which I mean, one of the most helpful things that I ever received in seminary was the expectation that sinners are going to act like sinners. And that the church is full of sinners. And I, in fact, am a sinner. That is incredible. I mean, you say, oh, that's offensive. Like, don't talk. No, let me tell you, it is so freeing. Because I need to hear that people are going to act out. And that's, and in fact, I need a Savior just as much as anybody. And so I can, it, it, it frees me, and in fact, couples me to, um, to treat people with compassion and empathy rather than judgment and get out of my face. Now, we've got to set boundaries. I understand that. We've got to give grace because we've been given grace. So, we expect broken people to be broken because we too are broken and dead in our trespasses and sins. And we too want, like Jesus said, we want them to wake up like this little girl. That is not our work. You don't wake people up. I don't wake people up. Jesus wakes people up. But somehow in His great kindness, He has used His broken people to help other broken people to wake up. And in fact, your holiness is not just, is not really for you. I mean, there is a sense in which your holiness blesses you, 
But it's not to get you right with God because you've already been made right with God. Your holiness is so that other people who need God can see the benefit and be drawn to it. Your obedience, your righteousness is a gift to the world. And in your righteousness, you are not self-righteous, you are compassionate. The question is not, are you, are you called to be a laborer? Yes. The answer is yes, you are. Because you're a Christian. And you got, you live in a field. And so, can, do we pray for more laborers? We should. But would, perhaps even more, would we be available to how we might be called? You see what Matthew has done here? Dead, raised. Dead in our trespasses, were raised up by Jesus. Sweetly, kindly. We're given clarity. We're given the ability to speak. And the world needs it. To pray, God would send you to the harvest. As His voice. Amen? Amen. Whoa! All right, next week we're going to start looking at chapters 10 and 11. It's part 5, authority shared. So we've seen authority in action. Next week will be authority shared. And the title is Apostolic Expectation. We'll look at the first 25 verses of chapter 10. Go in peace. In fact, go to church. Log on online. You too. You people. Okay. Love you. Bye-bye.